KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and kids ages 5 to 11, they could be getting vaccinated against COVID within a week as the FDA already officially approved the Pfizer vaccine for emergency use for kids. And today, we're talking with KW News Radio's Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward about what that rollout could actually look like. Guys, Jim is so on top of all this information, and it sounds like the rollout process for this is going to be much more organized than what we saw almost nine, ten months ago when we got the first rounds of vaccines for adults coming out. So I think that it's really encouraging to hear that doctors, pharmacies are doing everything they can to be ready for the demand that could be coming in. I mean, this is what we've all been waiting for, kind of, right? So there's been plenty of time to prepare. Some parents, anyway, I think have been really anxious for this to happen. A lot of people have been extra cautious because they have kids. Hopefully this will add some levels of protection and comfort. That's all coming up here on today's episode of the podcast. But first, let's get to the rundown of today's headlines. We open up our headlines today with, I, I'm not trying to be funny, but it sounds like the start of a, of a joke. The mayor, the police commissioner, and district attorney all walked into a school. And yesterday, that's what happened, except it was for a very serious issue to discuss the pervasive and virulent gun violence issue that we have in this city, where so far this year, more than 200 kids have been shot, 30 killed. We don't often see these three together. And this, Brian, apparently is one thing that finally could do it. I was going to say, guys, if there were ever any type of unifying cause to get Jim Kenny, Daniel Outlaw, and Larry Krasner in the same place together and listen and try to respond to something that's a really – I mean serious is the understatement of, of all time. But this is such a major problem throughout Philadelphia and it's especially hitting the youth, students particularly hard. Kristen Johansson has been on top of this story. I don't know how she does it and – day in, day out, follows a beat like this. She was at an event yesterday where those three city leaders met with students at Mary McLeod Bethune School. Let's hear what some of these students had to say. I lost a close friend due to gun violence. Many of my classmates have lost friends and loved ones. I don't feel safe coming out of school. I get anxiety because just around the corner, eight murders have been happening to students my age. Wow. You know, we just had Halloween, and I think a lot of kids didn't go trick-or-treating because they or their parents were worried about the gun violence. I was sitting outside on my porch thinking, it's getting dark. Nobody's going to come by in West Philly after after this. Kids that are going to school in Philadelphia right now are worried about literally staying alive. And to hear Violet Joyner, someone else that Kristen spoke to, she's a school leader at Mary McLeod Bethune School. I mean, this is this is just as crushing. I have lost students that were shopping. I lost another student that heard gunshot and ushered his brothers and other family members into the home and got shot in the back and killed. I had still another coming from working at Burger King, and he was shot and killed. You know, it's so common that we hear stories, we see numbers. It's It's almost easy to become kind of immune to it. But when you hear the voices of kids and teachers who have been personally affected and families who have been personally affected by this. I think it's really important to hear those voices, and that just really strikes a chord. How can the city do something to deter this behavior? I think that's something that's really noteworthy that Kristen pointed out that she included in one of her reports that ran on the air. I thought it was worth highlighting. 
The mayor and commissioner again pointed to guns as a major factor, noting that police officers are taking more guns off the street than ever before. The department has now added extra patrols around 38 schools within 25 districts. The district attorney said they're taking shootings and gun possession cases near schools very seriously, but says there's no additional or harsher offenses that they can charge, but instead that they could argue for tougher sentences if such a case were near a school. I can't be alone in in thinking and asking the question, why now? Why did it take this long for the mayor, the police commissioner, and the district attorney to all come together? This has been happening for so long, and it keeps getting worse and worse. So, yeah, they had a meeting, but what's going to change? I think that's something we will have to keep an eye on. You have to wonder at some point, when is that going to happen? We will switch gears here, and something unusual caused a traffic jam yesterday, which in this city, of course, that happens a lot. Anybody who listens to our traffic reports on KYW News Radio, it's everything from mayonnaise spilling on a highway to glass falling off a truck to a to a poor dog roaming onto the street and everybody slowing down to avoid it. But Sabrina, what happened yesterday that got people's Mondays all turned inside out? Yeah, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Um, so a Dump truck or box truck got stuck under an overpass on the Schuylkill. You may have seen about this or heard about this. The wild part about it is the way it got stuck. It was like, and I don't know if I can describe this. You might have to go to our website to see the picture. But it was as if a dump truck had like lifted up the back as if they were going to dump everything out while they were on the highway. And it got stuck kind of like diagonally. I don't understand how this happened. It looked like a giant Tonka truck. Those Tonka trucks you had as a kid, the dump truck that just kind of lifted up on its own. And apparently somebody must have accidentally hit the switch and it went up as it's going under there and it it catches. I mean, we laugh about it. That could have been a very bad situation. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it was infuriating for the people who were stuck and delayed by an hour in traffic. I try to be a mild-mannered, mellow guy. But when I'm in my car, I will admit – my my fury factor explodes. I really do have some some road rage stuff, and one of the things that I have such low tolerance for and impatience for are gaper delays. Why mess up my side of the road just by looking and rubbernecking at what's going on on the other side? I think this would be a worthy and valid gaper delay. You do not see something like this all that often. So if I was stuck in traffic on the other side and I finally approached where the incident scene was and this is what I saw, I would say, all right. That one wins. That That's worth slowing down for and, and taking a peek. My favorite one may have been like in the last year. I was coming back from the Cherry Hill Mall and I come over the Ben Franklin Bridge and traffic is just backed all the way up to the toll plaza, all the way back through. So you finally get across this bridge. I'm like, what are they doing? What is going on here that everything is so backed up? A truck was coming around the Ben Franklin Bridge and it appeared it had been driving a little too fast and tipped over, loses its load all over the place. It's onions. I'm pulling up and I can it legit smelled like onions. It's like why do I why do oh, I boy. suddenly have like a why do I have a, a hankering for onion rings? I look around. There are hundreds of onions just strewn at the base of the Ben Franklin Bridge. If I could find the picture somewhere buried deep in my in my phone, because that is worth stopping and looking, thinking, wow. There, there really are onions here. I, I sound like Bill Raftery on the on the college basketball games. And just, I wanted just to look out the window and scream onions, and then just keep <laughs> driving because it was they were everywhere. Those type of things are worth the the turning the rage down. It's like, okay, dude, I get it. <laughs> I totally How get it. How often will you see that? You you won't see that very often, but you know where you'll see all of these stories is on our website. 
KYWnewsradio.com. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and the FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine for emergency use in kids ages 5 to 11. We know you probably have questions about how vaccinating kids will work, so we've welcomed in our resident COVID expert, Jim Melwert, KYW Suburban Bureau Chief. Jim, good to have you on it once again. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the research. What do the studies show about this Pfizer vaccine for kids? Is it safe? Is it as effective as it is in adults, what's what's the story on this? The the findings uh, from the uh, the Pfizer trials is the vaccine was about ninety one percent effective in preventing COVID nineteen in children five through eleven, which is it, that's a fantastic number. Um, no serious side effects in about thirty one hundred children ages five uh, through eleven uh, who received the vaccine uh, in that trial. Um, there's been some concern. There was concern in the, uh, the FDA meeting. There was talk about uh, myocarditis, uh, which is kind of an inflammation of the heart. And there was a lot of attention put on that. And, and since then, you, you've heard a lot of medical professionals kind of come out and say, you know, it's there. It's, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. But people are getting too fixated on a few small examples of that. And, and myocarditis can happen with a lot. It can happen with common cold. Uh, it can happen with a lot of things. And, and the message now is the concern of, of heart issues and ongoing heart issues with COVID infection uh, far outweighs anything that, that they saw in, in trials. It's, it's been generally uh, good news for people who are looking for a vaccine. Now, this would also be a smaller dose for kids. Would that work in the same way with the two shots and boosters and everything else? Yeah, the two shots, it would be uh, the, the first shot, uh, just like it was for adults. It, it, like you mentioned, it's about a third of, of uh, what the adult dose is, uh, but it would be the same way that it worked earlier with the, the, the previous shots where, you know, you get your first one and then three weeks or so later, you come back and get the second one um, and then boosters, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, there's still people who kind of look at uh, boosters for adults and wonder the effectiveness of that. You know, one of the things you hear quite often is that the first shot so much more important than the third shot, uh, getting more people vaccinated rather than, than boosting uh, people who are already vaccinated. Antibodies aren't the only way you, your immune system fights uh, a, a disease. There's also uh, memory cells, T cells, B cells uh, that, are, that are just as important and they are uh, doing their jobs. Very few vaccines uh, prevent any infection. What we set out to do with these vaccines was to prevent the uh, the severe disease, the hospitalizations and deaths, and they've been incredibly effective at that. So, long way to answer your question. We'll we'll see what boosters look like for uh, for the, the the five through eleven age group. And the CDC has that in mind, by the way, as they're currently meeting to vote on their recommendations. The CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, kicked it off today by addressing the entire group. Pediatric vaccination has the power to help us change all of that and to let us move towards schools as we once knew it and hope it can be a safe and enriching environment for all of our children. I'm not, you know, an, an expert on, on ASIP or CDC or, you know, these advisory meetings, um, you know, just having followed them for you know, the past year when they, when they generally dealt with COVID vaccine related issues. Um, but it, it, it was much different than, than what we've seen with the CDC director Rochelle Walensky, 
speaking to the group before the meeting and, and it almost felt like she was kind of putting her thumb on the scale. And, and one thing to remember here is that this is an advisory group that the, their, their recommendation is not binding. Whatever they choose uh, is simply a recommendation. And it's, it's just that where, you know, the CDC can go whatever direction uh, they want to go after that. And then to hear the director come in before the meeting and say, Hey, we're really looking forward to your decision on this. And if you look at what she said, we really want you to, to, you know, okay it. And, and um, you know, it's, it's already gotten the green light from FDA. So uh, a lot of what ASIP will do is exactly, you know, kind of figure out how and where and when, and, and you know, those kind of things. Uh, but really kind of pointing out, to, you know, some of the statistics that the numbers that she gave 745 deaths in children, less than 18, 94 deaths in this particular age group, five to 11. Uh, and, and she does say severe outcomes have been generally rare, but as she put it, the risk is too high and too devastating uh, to children, far higher, she says, than other diseases for which we vaccinate. Uh, and, you know, goes on to talk about uh, how this has affected school. There are children in second grade who've never experienced a normal school year uh, and, you know, school sports, extracurriculars, proms, homecoming dances, missed graduations. So again, it was just really, uh, it, it stood out that the director before this board, this, this panel, uh, which whose job is to evaluate, you know, safety and, and doing things safely and making sure that, that the data are there, that the director would come in and say, hey, we're really excited that you're going to do this is kind of what it felt like. So the White House's COVID-19 response coordinator, Jeff Zeitz, says that they're actually ready to start shipping out the vaccine across the country. Here's what he had to say about this. Over the next couple of days, several million doses will start arriving at local pediatricians and family doctors' offices, pharmacies, children's hospitals, community health centers, rural health clinics, and other locations. So as he just explained there, what do our local facilities look like? What plans do they have in place to get that vaccine rolling out quickly once it becomes available? Well, I can tell you that I, I've already heard from at least one pharmacy that has received uh, the, the 5 to 11 vaccine. So not only are those shipped, they're actually it's 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 in-house providers have received it. And, and, and one of the things that you've heard from the from from Zients and the and the, the Biden administration is that they want to make this as easy as possible for this age group. You know, it's different when you're getting to 5 to 11. Uh, and by the way, side note, they're they're already talking about two to five, and then even six months to two, two to five, hopefully by the end of the year is, is what the time frame looks like now. And uh, six months to two years uh, early next year. But for the five to 11, one of the things they've been saying is, you know, making it as easy as possible, not only for, for parents, but also for the kids. I mean, this is an age group that's going to be more scared of needles, more uncomfortable uh, getting shots. So, you know, you don't want the cold clinics and, and gyms like we saw they want to give parents the opportunity to you know, go to your doctor's office, to go somewhere that maybe your child's more familiar with. So across the board, community health centers, uh, you know, pharmacies, pharmacy providers, uh, a lot of schools are already organizing uh, clinics with, with their providers. So that, that's kind of the goal here is, is to make sure that, that they're, they're out there and as available as possible. It, it kind of feels like anecdotally, I don't have any evidence on this, just kind of talking to, providers, there seems to be quite a bit of interest. Now, you know, what percentage that is, who knows, but but there does seem to be quite a bit of interest kind of off the bat here. Parents who have been waiting for this 
uh, are eager to get it. So you can expect that there will be, you know, maybe a bit of demand and then it'll probably drop off quicker than what we saw. Uh, I saw a, a survey, a study that was done and I'm blanking on who did it, but uh, it said that about uh, maybe 25%, a quarter to a third uh, are eager to get their, their kids vaccinated. But then it's, it's a similar percentage that say they won't do it. And then you kind of have that group in the middle. that's sort of in the wait and see. And that really brings us to the next point of a lot of the debate over COVID safety in schools. Do you think the vaccine will help that or will it just give people another thing to bicker and fight about? I think everything gives people in this day and age with social media and Facebook set out to get us to fight with each other. I think people are going to fight with each other over over anything. Um, You know, I, I, I think that if more children are vaccinated, then regardless of, of how people fight over it, it, this gives parents the opportunity to protect their children. Uh, and, and that was, was, was key in the FDA meeting last week in that the FDA, they were, they were starting to wobble a little bit before the debate because uh, they were concerned over how things were phrased. But one of the comments that you heard many people make was, we need to give parents the choice. We need to give parents the opportunity to protect their children. Uh, so regardless of people, if people are going to fight over it, I, I don't I don't know that necessarily there's anything to fight about, about a parent making a choice. You know, I, I can decide my children at this point right now, at this moment, you can decide, you know, your children. The FDA uh, was was very clear in saying we're going to give parents the, the choice here. Uh, but we also want to make sure that, you know, you have 3,100 children that were part of the study. So we're making some recommendations and decisions based on 3,100 children. And, and in that 3,100, we're fairly confident it's safe, but that's not enough to say across the board right now, here's a mandate. So, so that was the other part of it. The, 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 the two sides were kind of, you know, we want to make sure that we give parents the opportunity to protect their children if they want to. But we also don't think that we're anywhere near the, the point right now where we can say, you have to get your kid vaccinated. So I think what you're asking with the something to fight about would be you have to get your kid vaccinated and we're not there yet. I, I don't, I, I think the FDA, I think health officials are making it very clear that, that mandates are, are not appropriate at this time. Uh, but the opportunity for you to make a decision based on your children uh, with the advice of your healthcare provider, your pediatrician, or whoever you turn to for advice, that's the important part. You mentioned there, this is about safety of not just kids, but kids getting vaccinated will have an effect on herd immunity. The CDC said there's about 28 million kids ages 5 to 11 who are eligible for this vaccine. And Earlier today, speaking of people we turn to for advice, here's KYW's medical editor, Dr. Brian McDonough. I spoke with him for our conversation we have on Philadelphia's Afternoon News, and I asked him about the impact of vaccinating kids and what that could have on herd immunity if even a third to two-thirds of these kids get vaccinated. It helps build the numbers of protection. Again, this is all a way to try to reduce the spread of that virus, which indirectly and directly provides protection for everyone. Now, we know there's going to be pushback from parents who are just against the vaccine. But there are also some parents who are actually vaccinated, and they're also hesitant to have their kids get the shot, too. Do you think that the FDA approval will help reassure maybe those parents who are on the fence about it? Just going to to what uh, Dr. McDonough said, I think 
the talk about herd immunity from what we've seen with this virus over the past, uh, you know, almost two years now, I, I think that herd immunity just needs to be put so far on the back burner at this point. I think what we need to do right now is protect ourselves against severe disease and, and death. Like thinking that that vaccine is going to get us to herd immunity. Uh, you know, we're already looking at some places with 70% and you're still getting cases because the, the, the vaccine is not preventing people from from getting and spreading the virus. So the virus is going to be here. We need to learn how to live with it. You know, we need to, to get to the point where it's just an understanding that, that, that you know, SARS-CoV-2 is floating around uh, and you, you might get sick. Hopefully, if you're vaccinated, it's just, you know, a cold or a little bit more than a cold. And, and you know, that's what we've seen from, from vaccines so far. So that's kind of to feeds into your question. You know, some parents are vaccinated, but hesitant to get their kids a shot. That's totally understandable. You know, you're talking about your child here and what we're seeing in the, in the data. And, you know, I've been on the FDA hearing sitting in, in the ASIP hearing. I've talked to people about this process. I was, I was, you know, doing it now for five to 11. I did it from 12 to 18. Uh, I have two children ages five to seven. And after sitting through all those hearings and talking to all these people, as soon as it's available, my kids will get the shot. That's my choice. That's that's my personal choice. You may look at me and think you're crazy. How can you let your kids go first? There are other people who will say, you know, why wouldn't you get your kids protected from this? And, you know, kids are are are, are not no risk. They're low risk. And, you know, do you want to find out if your child is the one that could have complications from COVID? There are other parents who will flip that around and say, well, what if my kid's the one who has complication from vaccine? So it's a very personal choice. You know, it, it it may be a personal choice for, you know, that's a debate that you can have with mandates and employer mandates and all that stuff. So we can see that it's 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 a choice for adults. Now you're talking about doing something for your child and anyone who's a parent knows, you know, it, it's different when you're talking about somebody else. Now, that said, you know, if you're concerned about, you know, myocarditis or some of these other things, um, you know, I think people need to weigh that against the risks of COVID and, and what that can do. Yeah. You know, so. Does FDA approval uh, reassure them? Um, you know, that, that's a tough question. I, again, because it's just such a personal thing when you're talking about parents and, and children. We also know that today is Election Day. Now, you were on our preview of Election Day yesterday. Do you have any updates on how things are shaping up out there in the suburbs? And what are you going to be following as we go through the rest of the day? Yeah, I don't have any. It's so hard to say because, you know, you never know people's patterns. Are they going to go before work, after work? So it's so hard to kind of get a feel. Um, you know, before polls close of, of what turnout looks like, because even if it's slow in the morning, it might pick up it in the evening or it might be busy in the morning and then slow down in the evening. But, uh, you know, like we talked about in the preview right right now, there is currently, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia suburbs were a Republican stronghold. I mean, it used to be going back, uh, you know, for me, it doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess it, it was a bit ago where, you know, they were they were solidly Republican leadership was Republican. All the row offices were Republican. Uh, right now there is one row office that is held by a Republican. So that's completely flipped on its head. Uh, and that's Bucks County DA Matt Weintraub. He has a challenge uh, from one of his former deputies, uh, Democrat Antonetta Stanku. Um, so that that's one race to keep an eye on. There's a bunch of contested uh, row offices in, in uh, Bucks, Delaware and Chester counties. Uh, so Keeping an eye on those, you know, those are things like Prathana Terry or Coroner or Controller, Treasurer, those kind of things um, where, you know, we're not going to get into the names of the races. But as a whole, it'll be interesting to see Republicans, if they chip away at those numbers and if they're able, able to get some of those seats, uh, some of those offices back. And, 
I probably should probably should have put this on top. Uh, a Delaware County Council talk about uh, you know traditionally Republican for forty years. There was not a Democrat on Delaware County Council for about forty years. Four years ago, they won two seats. Two years later, they won the other three seats to take a five to zero majority. Uh, and now those initial two seats are up today. Uh, so there's uh, a, a battle for for those two seats to see if it's a five to zero majority, four to one, three to two. Those those are the races. Kind of a kind of an overview to see see where things stand. Although, like we talked about in, in the previous podcast, I don't know how much I would read into results from today because I really feel, and I may be proved wrong, but I really feel like uh, Republicans are much more motivated by school board races in a lot of communities uh, across the suburbs. So I, I think that's going to turn out uh, a lot more Republicans uh, than Democrats because they're upset about mask mandates and, and hybrid schooling and, and other things. And it feels to me, and again, I, I may be proved wrong today. It feels to me that they're more much much more motivated to get up and vote uh, than than Democrats or moderates who are are living with or in favor of those those mitigation efforts. So I think you're going to see pretty heavy heavy Republican turnout. I would hesitate before but you're trying to, to translate that into what might happen next year when you have uh, the governor's office and, and the, the Senate seat in Pennsylvania up. Jim Melward is our Suburban Bureau chief. He also is one of our COVID experts here at KW News Radio and has been keeping an eye on this pandemic pretty much from the beginning. Jim, thank you so much for this. As we always ask this. How can people check out what you're working on? I got to get back on Twitter. <laughs> I, I took a little uh, <laughs> took a little break. I got to get back on there. Um, so so Twitter at Jay Melwort and then obviously 1039 and on the uh, website. Make sure you are checking us out on the website, KWW News Radio. That's Jim Melwort, our Suburban Bureau Chief here, joining us on The Rundown, which is a production of KWW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The Director of Podcasting for KWW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me at Jay Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H, Real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. You can hear me every day on KWW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. Be sure to follow Follow The Rundown, of course, at The Rundown PHL. And you can hear it right here for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And thank you for checking out this Tuesday edition of The Rundown.